Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week on the podcast, I am joined by the writer, photographer, and designer, Craig Maud. I first read Craig, like many people I imagine, a decade ago now, when he published this really interesting camera review of the Lumix GF1. And I remember just being completely struck by this piece. I love the writing, but I was also fascinated by the design, by the photos he included, by the tech behind it all. It seemed to mix so much of what I was interested in. I had no idea who Craig was at the time, but I have been following his work ever since. And I've I've really grown to admire him and his thinking and really appreciate his writing. It's been so fun to watch him grow as a writer over the last few years. Much of Craig's early work was around books and especially books as they related to this growing industry around iPads and Kindles. Along with the camera essay, the essay that really put him on the map, I think, was his 2010 piece, Books in the Age of the iPad, that began what became a few years of him writing about books and technology and reading in the digital age. But over the last few years, his writing has really expanded and he's written extensively about everything from pizza in Japan to how to survive air travel to walking and meditation. In addition to his own site, he's written for the NewYorker.com, the Atlantic, Medium, and others. In this conversation, Craig and I talk about his early background as a designer and programmer and how he started writing and his interest in being a writer. We also talk about the intersection of making and thinking and the type of writing that he's always aspiring to. I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciated Craig's honesty and generosity in talking about all of these things that I'm interested in. I think you'll really like it too. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I think of as the sort of director's commentary of the podcast. Each month I share additional content, episode previews, and short essays related to the themes of the podcast. These memberships really help keep the podcast going. and I just appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Craig Maud. I probably like a lot of people first heard about you and the first thing of yours that I ever read was almost 10 years ago. It was your review for the Lumix GF1. And mm. I, I have a very vivid memory of reading it. I, I was in my, I think I was in my last year of college and it kind of connected all of these things I was interested in. It was about photography. It was kind of about tech. It was... This was at a time when a lot of designers were talking about what art direction on the web would look like. And you had this kind of beautifully designed site to showcase this essay in your photos. And I remember reading it and just being like, who is this guy? And, you know, where, where did he come from? And if I remember right, you didn't really have anything else on your website at the time, or there wasn't a lot of information. And in retrospect i feel like that essay was probably kind of a turning point for you and your career also and i thought it might be a nice place to start to kind of go back to 10 years ago and 
where did that essay come from or what were you doing at the time that uh you know kind of birthed that that piece of writing yeah it's funny that that essay has kind of followed me <laughs> yeah along. i'm sorry to like start with a 10 year old essay but no 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 but you're complete you're totally right i mean that was um definitely a turning point um kind of yeah, sort of almost like a coming out essay in the sense mm, of yeah. Yeah, I was hiding in Japan and then that was the essay where I popped my head up right. um, inadvertently to, to, to <laughs> sort of the world. Um, yeah, so w what was I doing back then? I was kind of just coming to the end of, I had been an art director for an indie publishing company okay. uh, that was that was based it was just two of us. So to say it was based anywhere was kind of ridiculous, but it was one the other guy was in Seattle. I was in Tokyo and I was coming to the end of that and I was feeling really lost and a little bit angsty and I, I wanted to work on bigger things. And I didn't know how to. Um, and at that time I was actually sharing an office with Oliver Reichenstein, mm, yeah. um, from, from IA. Yeah. So Oliver, Oliver and I had met, about a year earlier and uh he invited me to just take a desk at his office um and so i took okay. him up on it. i was all the stuff i was doing was basically freelance stuff in the background and this um, this is like designing developing kind of freelance stuff uh, both yeah okay. so doing doing physical book design and then also doing a bunch of web development okay, okay. like really really back-endy stuff okay um uh, I, uh, my degree is in computer science and uh, right. fine arts. And um, I always say computer science and fine arts and people go, computer science and finance? That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, no, fine arts. And, um, and so I was, I was in need of a place to work because working in cafes all the time was kind of driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there in Oliver's office and You'll probably remember at that time, Oliver was totally killing it with these online essays. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, um, uh, web design is, what, what was it, his super famous one, 99% typography or something like that. Yeah, I um, forgot all about that. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I'm sitting in this office. He's got like three employees and I'm, I'm there and uh, I'm sitting next to him and I'm just watching him do these essays and... So to back up a little bit further, like I'd always had aspirations to do more writing. Okay. That was um, my next question. <laughs> yeah. So uh, since a little kid, since a very, very young age, basically my three main interests have been um, writing and mainly fiction writing, uh, uh, okay. programming and design. Okay. And I, I had a pseudo mini career as a, as a drummer slash percussionist, <laughs> um, for like 20 years, but I, I don't, okay. I don't really talk about that much. I, and, and, and that just finds its way into, into the other work I'm doing in, in different ways with polyrhythms and, right. and uh, stuff like that. Um, and so by the time I was sitting in Oliver's office, I was 27, mm. 28, and I felt like I had achieved some of what I wanted to do, but I also felt like I was operating on a scale that... Um, was not what I hoped to be at mm -hmm. by that by that by that point, and um, and I tried doing some writing, 
previously with the publishing company uh, blog stuff, but it, uh, to be honest, I just, I, 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 you know, looking back, I lacked, I, I lacked discipline. I was mm. tremendously lacking in discipline on so many levels, and um, it's actually quite scary. I wish I could go back <laughs> to school because I feel like I've I extracted about. 20% of the value out of university that it could have gotten. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, sitting in Oliver's office, sitting next to him, watching him work was one of my first direct exposures to what felt like um, unstructured or unguided discipline. Like it wasn't, mm -hmm. there wasn't some boss telling Oliver to, hey man, you should write this essay or hey, put together, you know, put together this crazy visual thing. And I was sitting there watching him do it, and basically he wasn't running the company at all. He was just <laughs> right. working on these. He was just working on these essays, and uh, his other employers were kind of doing the, the company stuff. <laughs> right. and, every, and, right. and every now and then, every now and then he'd like pop his head up and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah like move that, you know, move that pixel <laughs> over here." And I was like, "Whoa, this is a pretty good setup." Um, and you know, watching him over the course of weeks and months put these essays together and getting lunch together and talking about this stuff um, made me feel like. That was something I could do in hmm. um, in a way that I think I'd always wanted to, but I didn't quite understand the parameters of what it meant to really dig into an essay, you know, to really right. go for it from a, a holistic perspective of, of thinking about the design of it and thinking about the art direction of it and thinking about the editing. Um, and so I was trying to figure out a number of things in my life at that moment. And one of them was I'd never really gone on a big adventure and I'd kind of been putting that off. Mm. And so I just booked on a whim, a flight to Nepal. And, uh, I thought, Oh, I'll go just go to Annapurna base camp. And I've always been into photography. Um, my whole life, I, I could never, my, I grew up in this sort of blue collar airplane engine factory town and uh, nobody around us had cameras. So I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. Like no, we, I had a I had a disc. We had a, we had a disc camera. Basically, it was like taking pictures with like you know like half of a VGA resolution on film. Okay. Like it, it was just okay. it was the it's one of the dumbest cameras. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazingly dumb camera. Um, and so I'd always kind of wanted a great camera. We can never afford one. No one no one in my neighborhood had one. I was just not. We weren't exposed to that stuff. And when I got to Japan. I came to Japan when I was 19 on an uh, exchange program. One of the first things I did was I like scrounged up the cash to get a used camera. Yeah. Um, and so since since 19 or 20, um, I was able to finally kind of satiate this 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 burning camera desire. And and at that time, this is in 2000, uh, I would spend four hours a day on Photo.net. Um, yeah, teaching just teaching myself reading the forums like a heroin addict and uh, teaching myself, you know, everything about I could imagine about cameras and film. And so I had, uh, you know, I had this strong background in cameras and I had my fine art, my focus in fine arts was can't was photography. OK, um, I had a dark room in my apartment in Philadelphia. And, oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was I was spending, you know, 20, 30 hours a week. Uh, developing film and printing and um yeah and you know i had a history with some digital cameras the nikon d70 and uh and you know just uh, just as i was about to go to nepal this is around 2008 2009 i was thinking man this d70 is getting pretty old what mm -hmm. what's out there and I, I just went to the local 
camera store here in Tokyo, Bic Camera. And um, I was looking in the camera section and I thought, oh man, this this GF1 looks pretty interesting. Like it's, you know, it's pretty small. It's, it's not that heavy. It seems to have good quality. It's this brand new technology, Micro Four Thirds, that just came out. And so those were all the ingredients that I had in my toolkit when I went to Nepal on that walk. And um, so I had the archetypes of Oliver and his essay writing. Mm -hmm. I had this deep interest in photography. I had all my web design background. Um, and I had this kind of really naive, somewhat dangerous desire to kind of to go up a mountain without a guide. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It was kind of, it was kind of idiotic. I, I ended up getting a guide at the end, but um, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. So, and then when I came back from that, I thought, oh man, that was a pretty, it's a pretty powerful experience. And um, my delight with the camera definitely stemmed from my design background. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was about using a, a beautiful object. It was about using an object that felt considered, reconsidered in a way that I hadn't felt with a camera in a long, long time. Um, being delighted by the quality, despite the fact that it was smaller. Um, being delighted by um, the the mode of photography, which was not holding this big thing up to your face, but kind yeah. of you keep it low. Um, there were all these design elements of that experience that I thought, oh, this would be really nice to talk about. And uh, And so that was kind of, that was the impetus to start trying to put that essay together. I, I have two questions about that that are kind of related. But, you know, you had mentioned that you always had this interest in, in writing in addition to design and programming. And I think what's interesting about the GF1 piece and then the even the, the essay that you wrote that I think was just a couple months later about the iPad were very much a way of you were writing about these other things that you were interested in. And I'm, I'm curious about that realization. Had the writing that you had done before, was this, was this a new way for you to kind of think about writing as a way to write about your other interests as opposed to your earlier interest in, in writing fiction? Do you know what I, what I mean? I think yeah. there's something interesting about it being about these other subjects that you're interested in. Yeah, well, I think for me, the big insight was that these things could be design objects, mm -hmm. like these web pages could be design objects. Right. And um, I like I, I mean, I think the writing is is OK, um, but I think the reason why those essays did well is because um, the design was strong. Yeah. And um, the design allowed my writing to not be as commercially polished as um it would normally need to be mm. uh, to get the attention that it got um but i think the combination of both uh you know kind of a strong opinion and some insights into into these objects or you know or the ipad and publishing yeah. um uh but, but really kind of buoyed by by the the power of creating this online object which was the essay I think that was I think that was really critical, and I think I I believed I could do that because I watched Oliver do it. Right, and so so you were just doing these for yourself, yeah. Right, and so what what was that process like? And you don't have to talk about it specifically for those two essays. Uh, you can kind of talk about your process in general, 
now if it's helpful, but that kind of process of knowing that you're writing something that's basically for yourself, that's going to go on craigmod.com, that you can also have full control of the design. Were you even thinking about that as I am writing and then I am designing or this is an object and you are controlling every element of it, whether that be the words or the visuals. No, I was definitely thinking about it holistically. But I mean, the the drafts begin in a text editor, uh, okay. and and you you know you kind of knock that out. But uh, most of the 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 revision happens in the web browser. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and um, in you know sort of intimately intertwined with the design process. So. Um, you know, it's like anything. It's, you know, print, writing an essay and then printing it out gives you a different perspective. Uh, doing a little layout of it and then printing that out gives you another perspective. Um, putting it up on a wall gives you another perspective. Um, just kind of changing the, the container that the, the essay lives in allows you to see it with, with somewhat fresh eyes. And um, there's just also an element of kind of fun <laughs> and play, playfulness to it. It's like really... It's really fun to work on those like typography details, and so right. there were there were there were a few influences, um, kind of guiding me. I have no formal design background. I had I took one graphic design course in university <laughs> okay. with an incredible pro- professor, uh, Sharka Highland, uh, mm-hmm. at University of Pennsylvania. She is um, to this day one of the most influential people I think on my sense of of, of uh, mm-hmm. aesthetics, but also just rigor. She she you know she was one of these professors that um you know you either hated or loved um and you were either hated by or loved or loved (laughs) by i I mean i think i think she loved everyone but you know she was this you know she she is this she's not i don't think she's dead uh she she is this i'm assuming still today uh quite um you know just very to the point you know about her criticisms in a way that uh, can be beautifully refreshing or or petrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and so Sharka was in mind as I was doing all this stuff, but also um, obviously Edward Tufte uh, oh, yeah. and and his books, and just thinking about how editorial and um, the shape of a page can intertwine in delightful ways. And so it's like it's so obvious when you pick up his books that he was editing to the physical page. Right. So. Yeah, I was kind of think, you know, thinking about all of that. Okay, well, how you know the sc- screen size, and, and this is back in 2010, where mobile wasn't a thing. Yeah, really. And so you know, you're kind of like, well, you know, what's the average screen size, and how do you chunk this, and how do you think about flow and breaking things up, and how do you you know convince a reader to keep going down the page to not let them get bored, you know, to 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 kind of win over their attention, um, and that was all just fun stuff to to think about. Um, it was just kind yeah. of joyful. Was, do you think your design background and kind of working in publishing and, and working with typography, did that influence how how you actually wrote what the way you kind of structured your sentences and structured the essays, not just how they sat on the web page, but actually the text itself? Do you think that that background has any kind of influence on on your voice? I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. think. Um, no. I mean, my 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 voice. Well, whatever voice there is, it's um, you know uh, the 
the biggest influences on on my writing have always been um, uh, so I, because I don't have a strong design background, academic design background. Yeah, I'm grossly underread in terms of like <laughs> in terms of like design. Don't ask me if I've read, you know, this design classic or that design classic, or if I've read this thing. Or the, I like I haven't. I just haven't. Uh, Bringhurst. Oh Bringhurst yeah. Bringhurst is is as deep as I've gotten, but. It's a, I mean, Bringers is phenomenal. It's he's fantastic. He's a poet. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, bring, you know, he he, you really feel that. Um, and I, I remember not recognizing that immediately, and then realizing later why I felt so drawn to his writing. Yeah, um, was because yeah, I mean, he he had this tremendous literary tradition that he was kind of he was kind of building off of. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I really don't have enough formal anything in typography. Uh, okay. Embarrassing. Like, I'll give you a really embarrassing story about how freaking like of a of a rube <laughs> I am uh, when it comes to to design. I, I was designing Art Space Tokyo. Oh yeah. And like I, I mean that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a, a predecessor to this as well. Yeah. So the the year before I did the GF one article, I think if my timeline's correct, um, I had finished Art Space Tokyo with Ashley Rollins, and I was co you know co co-writing that with him he was editing it um and then i was doing all the design and art direction and um you know i think that project also gave me a lot of confidence that you could mix um written with design in interesting ways and like i and also just the confidence yeah. that i could i could kind of manage all of that <clears throat> together and, and get an object out that produced an object that wasn't embarrassing and that actually people were <laughs> right. seems you know moved by or whatever but um but no the 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 so in, in finishing up art space tokyo <laughs> i had all these you know all the chapter headings were set in fedra you know display oh, yeah. yeah and um i remember showing uh the cops to a good friend of mine out here a really incredible designer this guy ian lineham oh yeah yeah, yeah i know ian you probably interviewed him, yeah. uh, or if you haven't, you should. Yes, I have um, interviewed him. Yeah, I love yeah, him. Yeah, Ian's wonderful. And so I sat down with Ian, and he's like, oh, yeah, cool. He's like, yeah, this looks good, man. And uh, he's like, but yeah, maybe you should kern, you know, just you know, clean up the kerning on some of these titles. And I was like, I was like, all the titles? <laughs> right. Really? Right. Like, I, was, I was so overwhelmed with managing the project you know, I was cutting stuff at the last minute, like essays that weren't coming in. We were cu we cut a gallery at the last minute. I mean, we were okay. just making all these kind of last minute um, production changes, and I had run out of mental space to think about super super the super minutia mm -hmm. of the design process. And I was like, oh yeah, it's basically done. Like I was just like, we have to get to the finish line. Right. And Ian's like, yeah, man. he's like, yeah, man, you should probably kern kern these all these titles. And I was like what i just remember like i think back on my reaction to that as just being so indicative of how little real experience i'd ever had right um and it's like obviously obviously you could like what are you, <laughs> right. what's wrong with you right. why like they, you know ian should have just like gotten up i think we we're eating pizza you should have just like thrown a pizza in my face <laughs> that's that's how little um kind of like a, like a like a proper rigorous design background i have I think it's interesting. I'm curious about the, the you know, the, I don't want to say the aftermath, but 
you know, you publish these essays, you, you do the, the camera review, you do the iPad one. I imagine you had a lot of people asking you to write for them or that you, you potentially had opportunities to then be a writer, but you seemed always to have an interest in not just kind of writing about these things, theorizing about them, thinking about them, but also making things, you know, actually kind of putting these things into practice. And I'm thinking about our space token. I'm thinking about Flipboard. I'm thinking about High. that all of these things were kind of coming together for you in interesting ways and that you didn't just settle on, I'm a designer, I'm a programmer, I'm a writer. You kind of continued doing all of them. Was that a conscious decision? What? How did those things start to kind of fit together for you? How did you kind of see this, these new projects that you were working on? Yeah, I mean, in, in part, it's con- it was conscious, okay. um, uh, just in the sense of like writing that iPad essay. Uh, I just um, left the publishing company, and part of the reason why I left was I was just kind of frustrated by the lack of curiosity that anyone had for the for digital books mm. for example mm-hmm. and i just i you know i was looking around and I, I just thought no one no one is writing about this um and, and maybe it's because not many people from a traditional publishing background have a strong tech background right and maybe that thin slice of overlap in the venn diagram between those two spaces is actually where the most you know interesting work is and and you know the most interesting ideas are living right now and so that was you know that was pretty, you know, pretty conscious on my part of, of saying, okay, well, let's, let's, let's really poke that space. And, um, uh, but I think, you know, uh, as time has passed, I think it's true for everything that the most interesting bits to explore are these kind of discipline overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty obvious, you know, there's nothing insightful about that. Um, and so, you know, going to Flipboard, for example, was, in part about putting some of this stuff to practice. Um, mm-hmm. But it was also in part of, of like you said, you went back to grad school. You went yeah. to, to MICA. Yeah. And for me, going to Flipboard was my grad school. Right. I'd, 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 always, wanted to, I'd always wanted to be in Silicon Valley since I was 14 oh, okay. or 15. For, I, and I, was, I was programming when I was 14, 15. I was actually writing blog software. Um, oh, nice. When I was 16, like if only again, <laughs> yeah. this issue, it's this issue of rigor. What does rigor look like? What does discipline look like? If only I had been a little more disciplined, I would be a trillionaire right now, obviously. <laughs> um, but that was not the case at all. Yeah. Uh, I was I was playing too much ska music <laughs> at, at, at the at the tune in in, in New Haven. Uh, and not getting paid by uh, Ped- what was his name Pedro? I don't know. The guy who ran it was a was a, was a crazy. Oh, guy. I love that. And so I had always wanted to go to Silicon Valley, and then I felt like I I was just too young to miss that, and I missed that first wave, mm-hmm. and then and it all collapsed. And then I, I you know I threw these connections from other work and art projects I had done. You know I had gotten a fellowship to the um, the Fabrica. Uh, oh yeah. Residency in 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 in. Uh, up in Treviso, in Italy, with Benetton, uh, I'd done. You know, I just made all these connections, and th- things sort of started to come together when those essays started coming out um, up around Silicon Valley. And and so going to Flipboard for me was about learning how 
the machine operates. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even in Tokyo, I was working on startup stuff with like Oliver, for example. And we had applied to Y Combinator. We were mm. flown out to do interviews. Um, the main criticism was just that we weren't, uh, both of us couldn't move to California. For like oh, the, interesting. We did the, yeah. So, yeah, it was actually probably one of the f- first, probably first 10 Y Combinator batches that was interviewed, I think. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and Paul wrote to us. He's like, you know, Paul Graham was like, hey, man, love you guys. Uh, if you'll both move out here, we'll you know, we'll, we'll fund you. Uh, but um, so a- anyway, it was move, getting to Silicon Valley and understanding how that machine worked was really important to me for a long time. And Flipboard was just seemed like the right opportunity, um, not only from a product perspective, mm-hmm. obviously, but also the the team was full of good people, and that to me was really important. Smart, kind, um, uh, accomplished people. There was a uh, yeah. the average age, the average age in the office wasn't like 21 <laughs> right um it was probably closer to you know 35 maybe or 30 okay. so it you know it was people who had built things and i really liked that and and being around these kind loving people who knew what they were doing was exciting and and important to me and i would say that the flipboard experience was not only transformative for me in, in understanding what it really means to work on an A-level team and on a on a product that has that kind of exposure, but um, the people I was I was living with, I was living with two amazing humans, uh, Enrique Allen, who went on to fi- fund the or found the Designer Fund. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Enrique, um, he had been part of uh, some things at Stanford, the design school there. Yeah. And, um, I was, you know, we were, we were living together with Ben Henretig, who was a filmmaker. He's, he's done a bunch of what he was calling then micro documentaries. Okay. And living with those two guys was one of the most important, I think, acts of my life as a human. Mm. Uh, it, it, I'd been living alone in Japan for a long time and I, it suddenly was thrust into this house (laughs) Where we were in old Palo Alto, two blocks from Steve Jobs' house, in, <laughs> nice. in 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 an old house that had no furniture. We had a kitchen table with three chairs, and we just cranked. We just worked and talked, and uh, every night before we go to bed, we'd give each other giant hugs. <laughs> and and our our refrigerator was just full of hummus, and we nice. made lots of. I mean, it was it was a really strange beautiful uh couple of years that i was able to spend with those guys and they taught me how to be uh a more loving human than i think i'd ever been oh interesting yeah i was you know learning all of the tech stuff and the mythologizing that needs to happen Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. silicon valley for a company to be successful to raise if you're trying to do venture capital raises uh you need to sell a a really convincing beautiful mythology and so watching Mike and the team do that and being part of the, you know, the, the, the process of, of the product design and going through all the iterations. Yeah, I mean, that was all incredibly transformative. But my goal is never to sit in a comfortable place for too long. Right, right. <laughs> this is, yeah. I mean, it was really comfy. It like, man, man, it was comfy. Um, and... Yeah, I, 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 on a whim, applied for a McDowell fellowship, a, write, a writing right, fellowship, yeah. and I got it. Who knows why? 
and uh, in part because Richard Nash wrote me the most beautiful recommendation letter mm. in the history of recommendation letters. And um, uh, I used that as my kind of eject button um, where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm making this intentional shift now to the world of literature. Yeah. <laughs> With a capital L. Uh, for better or for worse, um, certainly for significantly less money. And um, that was sort of where I decided to transition out of full-time product work and move more into a, um, yeah, I guess a more, yeah, certainly yeah. A, a less a less stable, less, less, less well, uh, reliable space of, of, of writing and, and, and spending a lot of time with poets and and fiction writers. So I, I, I want to try to connect a couple things there because I, I think that's really interesting. And I, I, I feel very similar. I worked in Silicon Valley for a while and that comfort was profoundly uncomfortable <laughs> to me <laughs> also. And I left that for grad school, which I think was kind of similar to you going to, to McDowell in a way. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious could you talk a little bit about kind of leaving that to to go into writing and and I'm wondering and and so and so much of your writing since that time you've started to move away from these subjects that you were writing about originally you're still writing about tech you're still doing you're still writing about cameras all of these themes are there but y your subject matter has expanded your essays are longer they're more uh personal uh in in some regards you're kind of it, it almost feels like it's a reaction to that speed of silicon valley and product work a little bit um and i'm just curious if you could kind of talk about that and kind of that evolution from you are a designer you're a developer you're a photographer you're a product person to calling yourself a writer and kind of thinking of yourself in that way yeah. Um, uh, sadly, I, I, I definitely don't feel that I am. I am nearly uh, where I want to be as a writer. Mm. And um, you know, the last five years or so um, have been interesting in butting against, you know, what what I'm able to achieve versus what I want to achieve. Have um, been very instructive, mm. and. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely everything is getting longer for sure. <laughs> longer and a little more involved. I mean, part of that is, again, not wanting to sit in, in an overly comfortable space of just, oh, I know how this works and I mm -hmm. can do a, a 500 or 1,000 word essay and bang that out and make it pretty and get some clicks and like do another one. And, and wanting to just go into places that... Um, you know, I've always had, I've always had this... this philosophical ideal with the books that I've worked on where um, at least from a design perspective I want these objects to be things that are tough for people to throw away so in a, mm -hmm. in, in, yeah. it, it's, which is another way of saying I want to I want to respect you know the physicality of this thing and I want to respect the tree that it once was and I want to respect the time of the people right. you know acquiring this thing and I want you know I, I want to respect all of these these qualities of producing an object today and um, and the same for writing. I you know I don't want to fart out, you know, uh, a 500 word, you know, a thinkfluencer piece, you know, just to 
keep right my name in the Twitter stream, you know, for the week or whatever. And and so yeah, that's drawn me to kind of deeper places, trying to get more raw without being emo. Um, <laughs> Right. Drawing a lot, drawing. I mean, again, just like my reading has expanded so much. Like uh, reading, like Jenny Ophel's *The Department oh, yeah. of Speculation*, for example, um, as as being uh, instructive on how to think about, you know, uh, connecting emotion and science and design and humor. Mm-hmm. Um, or reading Alexander Chi's essays. Oh yeah, which which are, you know, I. Th- He's getting the recognition now with his, you know, his recent essay collection, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. That's been on my that, list since it came out. I haven't read it yet. It's he's so phenomenal. And part of so I talked about like not being able to be the writer I want to be, you know, this Ira Glass disconnect <laughs> between taste and, and skill. And um, a couple of years ago, I ran into a wall. And when I run into a wall, I think, OK. And part of the reason why I went to Flipboard, went to Silicon Valley when I did was I had run into a wall in Tokyo of, of I run out of people that I felt inspired to work with. Mm. Um, and I felt like I was, I was hitting the edges of what was, was possible to, to do global facing work from Japan. Um, at least from, from the, the resources and experience that I felt like I had at, at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like going to Silicon Valley was a way to, to kind of open up the world and, 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 and kind of refresh that network of folks that, you know, to be inspired by. And so, um, a few years ago when I felt like I was hitting that wall with writing, I did two things. I went to the, um, uh, I applied for the Iowa, Iowa writers workshop. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, they do an intensive summer program where you can do three months essentially instead of, um, or it's like two, two months, I think instead of, um, two years. And, and so I was like, Oh, well this is, you know, doing two years. I don't know if I need to do that. And, and, um, but two months, if I could get into that, that'd be great. So I got into that. And then I had also applied, um, for the tin house writers workshop. Mm. And, um, and at the tin house writers workshop, I applied to work with Alexander Chi. And so I got, I got to spend a week with Alex and that was probably the most informative, transformative week of my life as a writer. Um, again, you know, it's this archetypes. I talk about archetypes a lot and archetypes are so powerful and so important. And to be able to sit in, sit in the room with someone who is operating at a level that, that you aspire to and who is critiquing in a generous mm-hmm. super smart but, but very generous way and witnessing that um for a week is so powerful it's so so important and powerful to be able to internalize that and feel like you can maybe achieve <laughs> a, a percentage of that yeah and and so you know spending that time with alex was incredibly important and um, and so I've just tried to, to fold those experiences back into the writing and go to places that Alex is, is <laughs> it seems, seems comfortable going to, or where Jenny, Jenny Ophel feels it's comfortable going to, or, um, you yeah. know, Dennis Johnson does. And so part of it is like this attempt to emulate a little bit of, of what these other writers are doing. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's no, little... <laughs> uh, it's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious how do you see connections between those earlier pieces and the type of writing you're doing now where you were writing about, I mean, I, th- I feel like for a while you were kind of the book guy. You were the guy that was writing about the, the future of the book and you, you know, you're still talking about that you're still probably known as that for a lot of people but like I remember the piece you wrote for Eater about pizza in Japan and I was like I love that he's writing about this now and that you've been writing about walking and meditation do you see kind of connections or themes between whether you're writing about books and the iPad to pizza and meditating are, the, are are these all ways of kind of articulating similar ideas yeah i mean it's all design right, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. it's yeah. like it's like everything is 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 a, a set of rules uh there's there's a craft to be learned mm, yeah. um there's there's a certain amount of rigor there's a certain amount of study structure around studying um and so uh, yeah i mean i i i don't feel like these are disparate topics right uh, i mean obviously they occupy different parts of the universe but um but i you know i i feel like they're writing about pizza is as much this joyful i mean the reason i wrote say that gf1 piece or the reason i wrote about books in the age of the ipad were because i felt uh, a joy i had discovered something i wanted to share with people i'd, I'd mm-hmm. found a secret mm-hmm. you know the gf1 was this secret that i was jesus man this is amazing i want to share the secret with everyone you know books in the age of the ipad was man like look <laughs> i've made a lot i've made a bunch of physical books and you know the um ecosystem is not great like right. if we could leverage this digital stuff too you know we don't have to get rid of physical but let's don't yeah. dismiss this digital like guys like this is pretty amazing actually what the, the what the potential here and so same thing with like with the pizza piece eater reached out to me if i you know to see if i would help them out with their tokyo food issue and i said sure if you let me write about <laughs> something and they're like what do you want to write about i was like i want to write about the pizza out here <laughs> because uh i felt like i'd found a secret mm-hmm. and um in the exact same way, I felt like I'd found a secret with the GF1 or, or right, with, right. or with, or with Vipassana. You know, um, yeah. I just gave a talk. I just gave a talk. I gave a talk in September at Smashing Conf in Germany, and then I gave um, an updated, expanded version of the talk in uh, Tokyo here just last week at the International House. Hmm. And um, I treat uh, walking and uh, ascetic. Uh, so three different things walking ascetic practices and vipassana i treat uh as products and i do a product design breakdown (laughs) of of of, oh i love that of the product market fit of like ascetic (laughs) practices what you know who's the audience of ascetic practices and why is the audience growing uh or talking about vipassana and what is the structure of a a 10-day silent meditation retreat why is it structured like that What's the user experience around structuring something like this? You know, why, you know, why does it have to be 10 days? Why isn't it four days? Well, here's why. Here's, you know, from, from, here's my, my user flow <laughs> of using a 10-day Vipassana retreat. Um, and here's how it's manifested later in my life, months later and years later. And, um, and so to me, it feels like the same 
set of muscles is being activated in the deconstruction, the finding joy in these things, the, the, the criticism of them, um, as, as, as was talking about the GF1 or talking about um, the potential of the iPad as a platform for digital books. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned, you've mentioned rigor a couple times and you mentioned uh, that you, you're not where you want to be as a writer yet, or that there are things you're still kind of working towards. I'm curious how your, your process has changed over, over the last 10 years from kind of writing that, that piece for yourself to now writing longer pieces, writing for other people. How has that changed and where do you see that kind of going next? Yeah. I mean, I look, when I look back at, um, like the GF one piece or, uh, books in the age of the iPad, I just think, wow, man, those were really easy. Those were easy. They're so tidy. They're so short. Holy yeah. crap. Um, you know, that uh, the, the books of the age of the iPad piece is not a long essay. Yeah. I read it again to prepare for this and I was surprised by how short it was. Cause in my mind it was much longer. <laughs> Well, I think I think it's because we had lower resolution screens back then, and everything <laughs> yeah. just seemed you yeah. had to scroll more. Um, but uh, you know, when I look back on that stuff, I was just like, "Wow, man, you were not you were not stretching." Uh, you know, and, but this is this is the this is the reality of attempting to respect a craft, attempting to move deeper into it is that um, you begin to recognize how shallow your understanding of things wa- was yeah, yeah. At, the begin- at the beginning. You know, when I look back at those pieces, I realize how, how very little I knew and how little confidence <laughs> I had about the whole process. Yeah. You know, and I was kind of just praying that I could knock together anything. You know, it was just like, you know, even even just doing something of the length of the books of the age of the iPad was for me, that was the longest thing I'd ever written. Um, mm. really sort of in that vein, mm-hmm. I had written, you know, you know, at university, you write longer essays and I had right. a graduation thesis that was longer. And, um, but, but you know, those as public pieces of writing for me at that moment were, were definitely the longest things I'd worked on. And now I kind of have the opposite problem where, um, like, you know, Wired approached me a couple months ago. They're like, "Hey, man, can you do like 800 words on this thing?" I'm like, "Sure." <laughs> uh, and uh, I just had did a call with the editor yesterday, and I'm at like 5,500 words. <laughs> and like, I can't. I just can't because I'm like, because I'm because I'm like, well, you know, if we're gonna go down this path, same with Eater. Like that Eater yeah. piece is like is like 6,000 words on pizza, and that was definitely not supposed to be 6,000 words on pizza. <laughs> right. And um, and I have another essay. Uh, that I, I I wrote this year, that's twelve thousand words, mm. and um and so when I say things like I'm not where I want to be as a writer, like I've had a lot of like just to be totally candid, like I've had a lot of trouble um, getting that essay to where I want it to be, and um, kind of stretching to the twelve thousand, which is like a novella, stretching <laughs> yeah. to the stretching to the twelve thousand word space. Um, and maybe in the same way, like when I was working on the GF1 piece where that to me felt like, man, I'm in unknown territory, you know, writing a long form piece at 12,000 words that holds together, mm-hmm. that, um, that pulls off callbacks to itself that, you know, that works as a, as a, as a, as a whole 
in 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 the sense of you know it's easy to write a 12,000 word piece that's like six little modular blocks right you know it's like oh here's this this bit and that bit and that bit. Um, but to do it in a way that weaves and and references itself and, and points back to itself and, and acts as a as uh, as a, as a an object unto itself as a piece of writing not as a, as a series of micro essays but really right. as a as a full thing where you can't if you pull piece x out in the middle you have to rewrite everything else because <laughs> right. it's so inter- it's so intertwined and so trying to get the writing to that place and why you know why try to do that well i think there's a lot of value in that because it makes you be more rigorous in in the way you you do your criticism or mm-hmm. or deconstruct things you can't compartmentalize as kind of a crutch. And um, I also think that it's just, again, you're try- the, the goal being, you know, George Nakashima, the furniture maker, yeah. um, there's this wonderful interview with him and he, and he, and he says like his whole, his whole goal as a furniture maker was to create objects that live forever. Um, and, you know, so again, like with this philosophy of making things that live quote unquote forever, it's really about pointing pointing to a point on the horizon that's a lot further off than than most people think about when they tweet, right? You know, and and so how do you get out of that mindset of, oh, man, this thing's only going to live for an hour or for a couple <laughs> days or for a month or for for a year, to mm-hmm. going okay, I want this to be a little more evergreen. It can it can reference important cultural moments today. You know, I think that's really critical for th- something to be of the moment. But at the same time, in ten years, you can come back to this and hopefully still get something out of it. Um, and to do that, I feel like the more cognizant you are of weaving something tightly and making it interconnected and creating a reason to go back and reread it and, 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 and imbuing it with delight of rereading to find those connections in the part of the reader, uh, to me, feels really important. And I'm still, I'm still, you know, wet behind the ears when it comes to this stuff. I still yeah. feel really green, green around this. And um, that's where I'm. I'm stretching as a writer right now. I am so mad that we're talking about this at the end of the camera. I could talk to you about this exact topic for another hour easily. But <laughs> you know, so much of this podcast and so much of kind of what I was thinking about when I was in grad school was how so much design writing was so responsive and so tweet-like. And I felt right. like these things we should be sitting with them a little bit. And yeah, what if design writing was deeper and more poetic and uh timeless in some way uh and that, that was my interest and then when i sat down to try to write it the same thing like you is kind of paralyzing and and kind of unknown 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 waters for me too so i know i know exactly what you're saying and i could i i would love to keep talking about that i have two more questions uh to wrap it up i'm kind of curious you started mentioning this in your last answer but what are the the things that you're thinking about now or what are some other kind of topics or interests that you're writing about and kind of working through right now well you know well being just being alive today you (laughs) you kind of there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out out there in the world that um you know it feels really pressing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh you know i think uh there's there's definitely yeah, I don't know if it's any different than it was like 40 years ago, but it certainly feels because of the way media yeah. uh, moves today and because of the exposure and because people can just tweet to the to the world. There is this 
this hyper sense of everything is collapsing simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so, so uh, you know, the last couple of years, I have obviously not been uh, happy with <laughs> the state, the state of the world. Yeah. On, on a number of levels. I mean, there's a, there's a, I guess on a superficial level, because on a, on a deeper level, there's tremendously incredible things happening mm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for example, I was doing a writing fellowship right at this moment a year ago. I was in, Ra- I was at Ragdale up in Lake Forest, north of Chicago. Okay. And I, and I was using the gym, um, at Lake Forest University. I was going there every day and, and they had the radio on the local radio station. On. And, and I, I'm not exposed to advertising, American advertising at all anymore. Right. Like, you know, I'm, I'm based in Japan. I don't have American advertising. I don't have, I don't watch American TV shows. I don't have any, I don't have any of that advertising. And, um, in the gym, the thing that shocked me was just how toxic, right? how incredibly toxic it was. Like there was, there was an ad that came on that was like, if you're going bald, you are, you are a horrible human being. Your life it will be over. We can help you not go bald. You know, I'm just like, what the fuck am I in? Like, I felt like I was in a yeah. parrot. You know, um, is this a South Park episode? And and I just thought, what could I do if I was a trillionaire? And I was like, okay, if I was a trillionaire, one of the things I would do is I would buy up a ton of radio time, and I would make I would make ads about how actually amazing a bunch of stuff is. <laughs> yeah, I, I would make it. I would make an ad that was like. Today at CERN, they discovered a new particle that is going to help us create better tools to farm, you know, arid, you know, disgusting yeah. desert climates. Don't worry about famine. We've got you covered thanks to this crazy weird research going on in Geneva. You know, like that. That's yeah. Like, yeah. That's like that's the radio <laughs> stuff I want to do. And, you know, our perception of the doom of today uh, you know, a lot of it is is justified. <laughs> Obviously, we should mm-hmm. probably care about climate change. You know, we should definitely care about um, not like nations and identity, and um, you know the, the 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 fluidity of that. Like, I mean, all these <laughs> mythological constructs mm-hmm. that basically give people access to rights. Uh, you know, certain yeah. fund- fundamental. You know, human. Uh, um, um, uh, 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 not just rights, but like, you know, healthcare, for example, based on just where you have it. If you're born on this side of the border, you get this. If you're born, it's some of these imaginary lines that define the quality of human life. Yeah. You know, like all, all of these issues are so pressing. But at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of beauty happening, uh, scientific research that's incredible. You know, we're, we're coming face to face, I think, with a lot of important and exciting questions about what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. And what does work mean? Mm-hmm. And how do we restructure education to reframe meaning in life? What if we could, you know, make it so people don't have to do these things that that they don't want to do? Well, we have to rethink education and and what is what is your identity and how you know, what does that connect with? And um, I think these are really exciting moments, but they also are fraught with yeah anxiety. You know, you're upending culture and you're upending identity. Anyway, so. Uh, you know, I don't see all of what's happening as as total doom and gloom. And I, f- I think on the research and science side of things, if you look outside of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, not everything is a social network. Not everything that's <laughs> yeah. being researched is 
is is you know manipulating eyeballs and brains for ad bucks. So I think there are a lot of good things going on in the world. So I am not a politician. I do not aspire to engage on a screaming in the moment um, conversation with politics. I I don't think I can be a, a useful voice there. Um, where I think I can be a useful voice is around um, perspective and distance, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also around uh, family and identity. So some of the things that I, I'm I, that I haven't written about, but I I would like to spend more time writing about are our family, for example. So I'm mm. I'm adopt I'm adopted, and being adopted has had an incredible influence on how I view friendships and family and where those lines are and what, it, you know, identity is mm-hmm. such, a, yeah. such a ridiculous thing. And when you remove blood from the equation, right. um, it, it gives you a, a pretty unique perspective. Um, and so part of my goals as a writer going forward are integrating more of that narrative and that perspective with, um, the meditation and 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 um, uh, control of attention, mm-hmm. and how that changes your relationship to art, and how that changes your relationship to um, the the horrors that are going on today, in the sense of giving you hopefully a better, more useful, genuinely affecting um, set of 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 actions to 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 affect change in a positive way on a, on a, on a horizon that isn't just about, you know, hopefully converting someone on the other side of the aisle tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, no, right. it's not going to happen. How do you affect education? How do you affect, um, these tribal norms that define where a lot of this tension comes from? And like, those are, those are questions that require like much, much, um, you know, make an, make an object that lives forever kind of thinking Yeah. in, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. That yeah, that's so interesting. My my last question. This is a question that I use to end all of these conversations. And you've already mentioned a couple writers who have really influenced you. But I'm I'm curious if there are other books or writers or or critics or thinkers that have really influenced how you kind of think about all of this that we've talked about. Your work, uh, the way you think about writing these subjects. Uh, people, you know, people listening to this who who are interested in this, where would you point them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I brought up like, you know, folks mm-hmm. like Jen, Jenny Ophel. I know she worked on department of speculation for like a decade. Uh, <laughs> so to, to see such a slim book and recognize the, the time it took to produce that is, is inspiring. Um, writers like, uh, Teju Cole oh, have yeah. been, have been really, I mean, he's, he's just, my favorite. He's, yeah. He's, I, mean, I think he's a lot of people's favorite. And, um, uh, for a certain kind of person, because I don't think he sold a lot of books, <laughs> and I think I think that's also really interesting. It's like, do you how how important is commercial success to what you're doing, um, and how do you define meaning in your life? Right. And I think you know, Tedju obviously has a has a huge audience with his New York Times Magazine column and things like that. But um, I think his books, the audience is relatively small. Yeah. Um, maybe ten thousand or so. You know, and that's I, I find that to be really exciting that yeah, that yeah. you know that that that's that that is an, a, not only is that an acceptable audience, right? But but 
if it's the right 10,000, like that's everything. Right. That's everything. That's everything. You know, he's, he's teaching at Harvard now, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, writers like Sam Anderson. Oh yeah. Uh, who's all, who was also at New York times magazine, you know, just for his kind of levity and, and, mm-hmm. and humor and, 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 you know, sh- sharp wit. And then also in that same vein, George Saunders, Yeah. Oh yeah. um, you know, uh, going back, um, further, uh, you know, WG Sebald's, you know, oh, Rings yeah, of yeah. Saturn, things like, yeah, things like that, that, that where you watch someone stretching, mm-hmm. you know, really, really stretching, uh, to kind of create something that is sort of genre undefinable. Mm-hmm. Um, Martha Gellhorn, uh, just in terms of travel writing okay, and also, and also humor, you know, she was, um, she, she had a strong connection with Hemingway and, was in uh was in Africa going on these ridiculous <laughs> adventures and you know in the middle of in the middle of the century um obviously Alex Chee's work um other other young writers like um R.O. Kwan um you know she she had her book The Incendiaries come out this oh, year oh yeah like, I knew that sounded familiar you know just interesting to 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 see uh yeah, just this this influx of support for young, uh, like Asian American writers, for example, um, uh, Garth Greenwell uh, mm. for like his really beautiful meditations on on g- the gay experience. You know, um, I think wh- what was his novel called? I have I have the physical copy. I've read it twice. <laughs> it's sitting over. On, but like just this kind of beautiful meditation of like um, what it means to be an outsider, what it means mm. to be the expat. You know, and what defines healthy and unhealthy relationships, and kind of, you know, disconnected from from uh, hetero norms or het- or homosexual norms. You know, just mm-hmm. kind of existing in this in this fluid space of sexuality. Uh, actually, what one of the one of the writers that has totally delighted me this year um, that I had I had not known of, even though she's been around for a while, is Otessa Mush. Beg. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm, I, I feel like a but, but I don't. I don't think I know this person. Otessa. Her last name is M O S H F E G H. Um, oh, I've seen this name. Is hilarious. She's like the Operation Ivy of novelists. <laughs> like she's she's totally this like fuck you punk rock literary person. Like in but in a way that um, is so so delightful read her the new yorker did a profile on her in like july okay she is just totally delightful completely amazing anyway so writers like that i'm i'm, I'm constantly yeah you know iterating through this reading i'm you know i've been reading a lot of biographies about um bicultural artists mm. so like Is- isamu noguchi for example oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh you know hayden herrera's biography on him is is pretty powerful and just you know reading about again cultural identity uh bridging cult- cultures and and you know w- who do you choose to identify with you know is you know isamu had a american mother mm-hmm. and a japanese father who abandoned him almost immediately and yet the cultural sort of placement of isamu is more in the japanese side of things than the american side of things and in fact Right. He took his father's name, even though his father was almost totally mm. not present in his life. And um, anyway, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm curious about all, all this. All I mean, topics. I got I got to read that Naguchi book. I I went to the 
museum here in New York a couple of months ago for the first time ever, and it was a oh yeah incredibly moving experience for yeah, me. Yeah, you got to th- come out, come come out to Japan, go to his Takamatsu studio. Yeah, yeah, it's, I want to now. Pretty awesome. Uh, and that was that was a great list. People often struggle ending the podcast with a question about kind of favorite writers. And I thought that was such a fascinating list and a good mix of people that I that I knew and totally see the influence on you and then some people that, that I didn't know. And Craig, thank you so much for this conversation. You're writing, you know, literally over the last decade has had a, a big influence on, on me both personally and professionally. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jared. This is really fun. This episode was recorded on December 5th, 2018. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>